This series of Rain is celebrating one of my obsessions, women's sport. The series is empowered by Nike, whose ambition, just like Rain, is to be the biggest champion for women and girls and ensure they feel seen and included. And that means all women. Nike celebrates all bodies, all journeys, and all forms of movement, and we love to see it. Nike is totally committed to that investment, supporting her journey, taking action to make meaningful change and coming through with innovative style-led products. I'm sure you've already seen the game-changing new England's women's football kit, which includes the new leak protection technology embedded in the lining of the Nike Pro short for athletes. Nike leak protection period is available as a separate product for everyone, and the ultra-thin absorbent liner is designed to give people who menstruate an added layer of confidence through movement, whether that's football, athletics, dance, weightlifting, yoga, or even a quick dash to the shop, babes. That's not all. Nike have launched the Phantom Luna, a women-led football boot, backed by Nike's most meaningful investment in women yet. That they've taken more than two years of research, trialing, designing, and styling to develop. And we haven't even gone on to the bras, leggings, pro hijabs, and their maternity and plus size ranges. So make sure you check out the latest innovation for her product at Nike.com. Hey, I'm Josh Smith, and welcome to Rain. This podcast is all about empowerment and open conversations with incredible guests. So let's get straight into it. This series of the podcast is all about sporting game changers, and today's guest, Alice Deering, totally defines those words. Alice does not do anything by halves as a marathon swimmer in a 10km event, and out of the water, she continuously fights for change too. In Tokyo in 2021, Alice became the first ever British black woman to compete in a swimming event at the Olympics for Team GB. And right now she's working towards claiming her spot in the squad for Paris next year. Alice has used her platform to co-found the Black British Swimming Association, which aims to champion diversity in swimming from grassroots to the elite level. Some of the stats you will hear in this podcast are absolutely eye-opening and show just how powerful and vital Alice's work is. She tells me about the racism and mental health hurdles she's had to overcome to participate in a sport that traditionally didn't make space for her. And Alice's story is one of physical and mental endurance, which we can all be inspired by. Alice, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I mean, we're melting. Yes. But we are We are. <laughs> thriving honestly such an honor to have you as part of our women in sports series because you are the definition we ban this term around a lot i feel game changer but you are the definition of a game changer in sport and you haven't just created a seat for yourself at the table you've made your own goddamn table and you're bringing everyone to that table with you and like just to kick this off with one of the most amazing things about you is that the Tokyo Olympics you became the first black woman to compete for Team GB in an Olympic swimming event which is kind of beyond shocking in a way because it's taken 125 years from swimming's Olympic debut in 1896 we're talking Victorians here for to, to make this happen why do you think it's taken so long uh 
Firstly, thanks for having me. Honestly, it's an honor to be on here <laughs> and to be included with these people. Legit, I, I saw I saw the list of people come through, and I was like, I was like, little old me, really? <laughs> I'm honored. Thank Babes, you. not just little old you, like game changing you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, sorry. So, answer the question. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's been it's just the racism and the stereotypes surrounding black people in swimming have left black people in a certain place when it comes to getting in the water and um i think it was 1980 i believe was the first time we had a black person 14 gb in mm. swimming in the olympic games and then it's taken like 41 years or 40 years to have a black woman and i'm really hoping it's not another 40 years to get another person into it and that's why I'm having these conversations and just trying to let people know that, yes, black people were told in the past that swimming isn't for us, that we should stick to athletics, that we're too dense to, our bones are too dense to be in water and all this, these lies, basically. Whilst we were told that and it has left black people in a certain place, it doesn't mean that we can't change the future and can't influence what we can in the present to make sure that these issues aren't being repeated down generations and generations like we're, like we're seeing at the moment. So um, I'm just doing what I can, where I can to hopefully mean that when I'm old and gray one day, that it won't be, it won't be the same issues repeated over and over again. Was there a moment when you were like, wow, this isn't really a space for me or a sport that's not necessarily creating a space for me? Yeah, so this is an interesting one. I... Like, so, so my mum, I'm mixed race. My mum's black and my dad's white. And my mum was the one who took me to grounds competitions and everything. So, mm-hmm. um, very dryly, it was always really easy to spot her in the audience. Like, I, I didn't have to look too, too, like, look into people's faces too much to spot my mother. Um, and I, I didn't really notice it like that at the same time. Like, upon reflection as an adult, thinking about it I was like oh yeah there was some there was some like moments where you know people said things that alluded to my race or to my mum's race Mm. or something like that but at the time we just kind of put ourselves in a bubble I don't know whether it was intentional or not on my mum's half she never really spoke about it she she actually didn't know the whole black people don't swim thing um she grew up in Ghana uh by the sea in Accra went to the beach swam in the water all the time and in her mind like swimming is just something that you do it's a life skill you you should be able to know how to do it so when I was about 15 years old I was like mum have you heard this thing that black people don't swim or that we can't swim and she was like yeah I know and we laughed about it and um so I think I was just very fortunate that I never saw race like that and it always sounds like Mm. really flippant but at the same time I think it was really good because if I had been like a nine or 10 year old girl realizing these societal issues which are happening at the time, that is a lot for a child to take on. Mm. I think it's a lot for an adult to take on. So I'm really grateful that for whatever reason, I never saw it like that because it could have pushed me out of the sport and I have seen it push people out of the sport. It was only when I got older that I started to have these conversations and through having these conversations, been able to unpack things which had happened when I was younger 
and start to really process it properly. But asking a 12-year-old girl or even a 16, 18-year-old girl to try and process that, I think is quite unfair on her, especially when she's just trying to be good at a sport. (laughs) Mm. When you look back now, what are some of the moments that you look back on or moments of prejudice or discrimination that really make you go, wow? Yeah, so one of the main ones was... um, at open meets or competitions, people would approach my mum and say, oh, we didn't expect Alice Deering to look like that. And she would come and tell me, and we would laugh about it. And we, I like did not think this was about race at all. Because I, I was a very, like, I'm small now. I'm like five foot five. It's not that tall. But I was a very, very small, like nine-year-old girl, like, like very petite and quite good at swimming. So people would probably see my pro- my name on the program and be like, oh, that's, that's Alice, that's her time. And then see me stood behind the block and it's just this little girl. That's how we saw it. But then it wasn't until I got to about 15 or 16 that I said to my mum, oh, mum, do you think they're approaching the the mixed race girl's black mother and saying we didn't expect Alice Deering, which is a very English white name. It, mm. it gives no indication to my Ghanaian heritage. Do you think they're approaching you, like putting two and two together and kind of being a bit stupid by saying that? And she was like, oh yeah, I've never thought about that that either, but that probably was it. And um, it's it's totally harmless, but I think knowing what we know now around race with Black Lives Matter, mm. with prejudice, saying things like that in 2020 or 20, like I just don't think it would happen, but we're talking like 2008. And I'm not saying that like it, it was okay, but I just think people are probably, I like to think people are probably more aware of how they approach people and say things like that but again we were ignorant we didn't we didn't see it in a racial context which I'm really happy that we didn't because again it's just something that I I mean I shouldn't have to deal with my mum shouldn't have to deal with it so I guess we were very blinded in a way which again Mm. I'm happy for and that's kind of where your work with the Black Swimming Association comes in (laughs) which you co-founded and there's kind of no denying that swimming does have a diversity problem because some of these stats are very eye-opening, like 95% of black adults and 80% of black children do not swim. How are you going about overcoming those stats and trying to like turn the dial on that and bring those stats down? So I suppose me personally, whenever I can, I just tell people to go and swim. <laughs> I'm like, mm. I could push her. I'll be like, go get your <laughs> lessons. If you haven't swam in a while, go get some top-up lessons. There's no judgment in it at all. There are people of every age who don't know how to swim and there are lessons for every age to teach you. And um, so that's kind of like my personal, like this is what I'm doing. Whenever I have a conversation, I'm gonna tell people how to swim or I'm gonna tell people to go swim. Um, but in terms of the BSA, it's um, policy making with uh, aquatic governing bodies, getting into boardroom level com- conversations and just trying to be the bridge between the black and Asian communities and the aquatic sector. Because there has mm. been an attempt from the aquatic sector to try and get more black and Asian people into swimming. But for whatever reason in the past, it hasn't worked. And that's where the BSA is looking to fill that gap. And, you know, it's really exciting some of the work we've got going on. We're looking into completely dispelling the bone density myth lies, which have plagued black communities for so long. And it's one of those things that even if it is true that black people's bones are too dense 
that we can't float or something like that, I, you still can learn how to swim. And it shouldn't deter mm. people from getting in the water. It just means that teachers might need to find a different way in order to do that. But even still, I don't think it's true at all. And then we're also doing some work around the cultural barriers which stop black and Asian people from swimming. So whether that's um, the issue of modesty for Asian women in particular or for black women, hair and managing that in the pool or how far you live from a pool, meaning that like access and then finance. And so, yeah, mm. we're trying to understand the issues which are happening within our communities. We know what they are it's always so helpful to have that like concrete, these are the issues we've gone out, we've found, we found the evidence and then we're going to um, the boardroom meetings and being able to move things along, yeah. Mm. Do you think co-creating the Black Swimming Association has been a real turning point in you discovering the power of your voice? Definitely. I, so I set out talking about this in like 2019 and Mm. It was first in, I wrote, I wrote an article for Galden magazine. And honestly, I didn't expect anybody to really care. Um, I, I've, I just, I don't know, I just didn't. I was, I was like, I'm just, I'm swimming along, I'm doing my own thing. And um, I'm going to speak about this. If people care, great. If not, at least I've tried. Maybe my story will reach somebody who doesn't know how to swim and it'll encourage mm. them in some way. So, um when we first created the Black Swimming Association, it was just before Black Lives Matter kind of had its power brought back into it and was back in the mainstream media again. And off the back of that, I think it gave the aquatic sector a real good opportunity to have a look in the mirror and see what, where they can help people and see that there are people out there trying to move things along and make it more positive for everybody out there. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really fortunate. The, the coverage the BSA has had is amazing. And it's it's only the beginning as well, which I find a little bit terrifying, <laughs> like in a really good way. It's so, like personally for me, I want everyone swimming. I want everyone to know mm. how to swim. You don't have to love it, but be able to swim 25 meters. So if you need it one day, I mean, hopefully you don't, but if you need it to save your life, you have that. And that, that's my ambition with it. At the end of the day, sport should be for everybody. It should be an inclusive <laughs> space for everybody. <laughs> no matter how you identify, how you look, your body type, whatever. When you think back to your journey from like grassroots level sport to being an elite sport, when do you feel like you truly felt included? Truly included? This is a difficult one because um, like in terms of like elite swimming, there's still so few black mm. people. And I look at like the athletics girls and the athletics babes and I see kind of like the sisterhood that they share mm. with each other. And I've had a little taste of it. Like I'm, I'm friends with a couple of them now and um, the energy that surrounds them is so nice. So I'm just a little bit jealous of the athletics girls sometimes, I'm not gonna lie. but. Um, in terms of swimming, feeling truly included, it's one of those where I stand on poolside and I've got my swimming costume on and my hat and goggles on and I feel included then because we're all kind of in the same uniform. We all look the same, mm. we're all doing the same things in the pool. So it's a difficult one where when I'm having these conversations, I realize the stark issues which are happening. But then, like I said, like I said before, 
when I'm in swimming, I do get into this bubble where I try not to think about it too much. So in terms of feeling included, I think when I really started speaking out about these issues, that's when I realized that I've, I have a voice and that it can be powerful. And through that way, I can make my own kind of inclusive pathway. It sounds like so cringy, mm. but like I can make my own space to feel included in. But then at the same time, I feel included at the pool anyway, because I, I'm very fortunate, I suppose, I, like... I've always done what I've wanted to do. Um, I've, I've always been someone who, if I don't want to do something, I won't do it. I'm not going to get peer pressured into it. So um, I've kind of always had a confidence to trust that if I'm somewhere, I deserve to be there and I belong there, regardless of my race or my gender or anything else surrounding that. 100%. And you are doing that. And that's what's so empowering about you. And I think as well that there's so many aspects of sport that are being propelled forward and particularly mm. in relation to women in sport, we've still got so much work to do, but there is work being done right here, right now, which we love to see. And Nike are truly leading the way with her and creating such mm -hmm. innovative products and really changing the game and allowing women to perform at the best of their ability, whatever that ability is, whilst also being mm -hmm. empowered in their body are there any specific innovations to women's sportswear that have really made you feel so much more empowered so i've just seen that nike has brought out some i think training shorts which like a leak absorbent and like i'm really lucky i've never really had to deal with it because i'm in the swimming pool so like it does it sounds so bad. It doesn't matter if you leak in a swimming pool because, you know, it is what it is. But seeing other sports where it's all on land, I actually would be terrified of that happening. And especially um, the women's, the, I think the women for the World Cup, the Lionesses, they've managed to get yeah. the shorts changed from white to blue, which like, it's just so obvious. Like it's not that deep. I don't know why the colors of your shorts are that deep, to be quite honest, because... It just should be whatever women feel comfortable to play in. And obviously that's a much more sensible color because it can happen to anyone at any age. Like just because you've had your period for X amount of years doesn't mean you're suddenly the period expert and that you'll never like leak again or something like that. So um, I just think it's nice that it, it's, and also it's the fact that it's acceptable to talk about it now. Like I mm. bet 10 20 years ago having these conversations even now i'm kind of like oh my god don't say period don't say period but like it's not that deep but um <laughs> like it's just it's nice that we have these spaces to have these conversations and it might make some people feel uncomfortable but like tough like it it happens to like a large percent of the population and it shouldn't deter women from playing sport or girls from playing sport and i think that's why these shorts are so great because like being a young girl in school or something like that and the amount of girls that miss swimming because of their periods and sports because mm. of their periods is is actually really upsetting and it can create such a horrible relationship with exercise where you can only do it for three weeks a month and then you might not feel mm. like doing it in some of those other weeks as well so that goes down to two weeks a month and you're missing out on so much activity so um it's just simple things like that which can really help elevate a woman's experience of exercise and give her a, a more positive experience, yeah. 
You know this podcast is all about bringing people together through the power of good conversation. And that's why I'm so happy to be working with Nike for this series, because one of Nike's greatest strengths is their ability to bring people together through the power of sport. As well as creating specific products for her, Nike is unlocking doors for the next generation, accelerating change in sport from grassroots level and investing in more than 135 community partners that support women and girls around the world who want to participate in sport. It's this kind of inclusion and progress that makes me so proud to be working with Nike for this special series. So I encourage you to head to at Nike Women to find out more. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. we still got so much work to go in order to get gender parity in sport. What hurdles do you think we've really still got to overcome to truly get gender parity in sport? I think it, it does start in school. I really think it starts mm. in school. I really think we should be looking at girls' sport in school a lot more and finding what makes them happy. What like why are we forcing them to do gymnastics if they don't really want to do gymnastics? Or why is mm. netball put as the sport when that's great, but there's other sports which are available? So, um, yeah, I just think there's so much out there which girls especially are not really getting access to or getting the knowledge of especially. So I really think that could be quite a big step because as generations move older, they'll keep moving through with the sport. And it is all about money at the end of the day, isn't it? That's what people talk about, that you know, men's football brings in more money. That's why it's got more, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So when you have like more of a population doing it, it's going to bring in more money or bring in more viewership. So um, I'm talking a long game here, aren't I? I'm not talking like quick fixes. I'm talking, let's start with... <laughs> The younger generations, let's invest in them, let's invest in their opportunities. And like, we'll just see, like, we're seeing sport boom already. We're seeing women's sport grow. Mm. But, you know, with like down the line, it will really be a powerhouse, which it can't be ignored now, not at all. But I really think it can be on like on par. I don't, I don't mean that in that way, but like it can level out with men's, like, definitely. Oh my God, 100%. And I can tell you right now, when I was um, a male, kid playing sport the one thing I didn't want to be playing was rugby I wanted to be over playing hockey I wanted to be playing netball like that whole like gender yeah. division of sport has got to stop because it stops it's so, so many people thinking that sport is for them like I thought my whole time that I was at secondary school that sport wasn't for me because I didn't want to get muddy <laughs> like a tackle well yeah. shockingly I didn't want to tackle boys wanted to do that in adult life but that's different but literally like I was like, this is just not for me. And it was just like, there was no so other true. option. It's yeah, so true. No, it's it's actually really bad. We're definitely closing people off to sports way too early. Way too early. We're talking about 11-year-old kids here. Like, that's so young to just be like, oh, no, you have to do this sport. It's, it's a shame. It's such a shame. And also another thing that is a shame that we still got to deal with as well is that, I mean, I've talked to a number of female athletes about the frustrating lack of research 
into how sporting performance can affect women's bodies and how there needs to be more research into women's bodies in sport because there, you know, there's a lot of things that can affect your body. Periods, for example, can make you more prone to injury during certain times of the month. Like, what would you love to see more research into? Oh, yeah, I think periods has to be one. Um, I, so I've had like so many talks around nutrition and energy balance and skin folds and stuff like that. In my whole career, I've only ever had two like seminars or lectures on periods. And the first thing that comes out is always, there isn't a lot of research, but this is what we know. And then the research that they, they read out, I'm just like, but it, it doesn't like, it just, I need more. I need, I need more. I need, I need, mm. I need these girls and these women to truly understand how we can start to maximize our performance on our periods or coaches to understand that it's okay to take a step back for a day or whatever. Like, um, I actually had it the other week where my symptoms were so bad for my period and I never normally get bad symptoms at all. I'm normally pretty chill. And I was quite scared because I mean, I, I, I even had to go and Google, is it normal for your period to like change? Is it normal? For, Cause obviously your mm. hormones are different every time. And I was like, why are my symptoms so bad? Like this isn't, this isn't normal at all. And I had to go and Google it and it is totally normal. But I was, even I was scared, like, and I'm a woman, I've had my period for like, however, I think 10, 11 years, whatever. So, and that, so I don't know how it could be for like a 13, 14 year old girl who's just started it out or whatever. So, um, yeah, I'd love more research into that, to be honest. And and then as well, just, just not having to train women like men. I think that's quite common in certain sports is that like you just kind of do what the men do but slower (laughs) it's one of those it's gonna work for like five percent of the population Mm. but then the other 95 percent that might need something a little bit different it might not work for and then they end up dropping out of the sport at like 14 15 and it's just yeah, sorry, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to rant and keep ranting, but um, it's just... Oh, this is the space to rant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally here being like, let's get the megaphones, let's go outside these sporting institutes, let's get the placards let's out, let's get campaigning for this. Because it's like, Dean Asher-Smith said this on the podcast before, actually. She said she gets so frustrated by the fact that female athletes are seen as little men and all these, like, theories about men are then placed onto women and they're like, yeah, you know, like you're saying, just go slower. Do this. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's not that simple. And I, I'm quite lucky because I'm in a non-weight bearing sport. So swimming, you can kind of throw us up and down, up and down, up and down, and our bodies will cope with it because our joints aren't being affected. But I don't know how this might be for runners, where you've got like I don't know, you've got a completely different body to a man. Like, like yeah, that's you just mm. do. So how does it? like it doesn't translate across and um yeah i i I just i I don't know how we keep trying to think it's just we can just like rinse and repeat it's absolutely fine if we have to change things it shouldn't be seen as a burden either it shouldn't be seen as oh we've got to do something different for the women it should be okay we've got to do something different for the women what can we do how can we maximize it how can we make it better oh wait that actually worked really well for the women Maybe this can work for the men as well. You know, we we can learn from each other. It doesn't have to be a mm. hard divide. Um, I think again, I'm fortunate in swimming because 
it is a sport where men and women compete equally alongside each other. You know, it's equal prize money. We get basically equal coverage and stuff like that. So the terms of the gender like thing, I've really had to open my eyes to the issues which happen in other sports. But in swimming, it is generally like pretty much equal. Yeah. Mm. And one thing you're definitely changing and really another thing that you're game changing in is your work on redesigning swimming hats specifically for Afro hair because this hasn't really existed before and yeah. that is such an amazing thing that you're doing and such a gift you're giving back to the community which is so empowering when do you feel like you would have really needed those swimming hats the most when you were starting out yeah so um partnering with soul cap has been absolutely amazing they um they just had this passion and idea where they're seeing black women struggle with their hair in the pool and it's made by two black men and they're like okay let's just make a bigger swimming cap and for me honestly it it just I think just seeing it when I was young just being able to see it as a child as like a nine ten year old child I think would have made quite a big difference because you see that there are products out there for braids for locks for afros and I've always changed my hair to fit into a swimming cap i've been doing that since i was eight years old and i'll be doing it up until i retire that's just like how i've managed my swimming career and i started working with soul cap in 2020 which means that when i go on holiday especially when i've got box braids i can go for a swim and not have to deep it too much that my hair's going to get wet so it's just nice that there is that option out there available for people now but i think especially for young kids who want to be good at swimming and want to you know potentially take it to the next level just seeing that the option is there is enough mm. to show them that they can excel in the sport because it, it, you don't even have to have used it but i think just knowing there are people out there who are looking at these issues and if you do one day want to have like an afro out whilst you're swimming you can go swim and still cover your head and not have to like try and manipulate it into like a tiny little hat because they are small yeah it's a facelift some of them it's properly like it's... and they some of them give you a headache as well like <laughs> oh my god but that's one of the things that was when i was reading about this that actually made me want to literally throw my computer out the window as i was reading it because it made me so frustrated was that the swim caps you designed were not allowed at the Olympics on the grounds that they did not fit a natural form of the head. Like when you find that out and you hear that, how much do you think that still underlines the inequalities in sport? Yeah, this was like, it went, it got really far actually. This went really global and had such an amazing response from so many people. And it's just one of those things where it was very ignorant um, on FINA, it's now, now World Aquatics, but they were called FINA at the time, on their half of understanding what the hat was for. They didn't see it through the lens of, this is just going to be able to allow people, if they want to turn up to the Olympics with knotless braids or locks, that they can still compete. And truthfully, I won't be turning up to the Olympics with not the sprays or locks that is a lot of weight on your head to be dragging through the water and that's fine if that's what you want to do that's fine go for it but it's the fact that in my event the marathon swim 
the rule is you have to start with a swimming cap on your head. And I actually wouldn't have even been able to have like started the race if I had like braids or anything like that, because it wouldn't have fit. I mean, I could have just put it over, but then my braids would have been out. And I wouldn't race like that anyway, That's but that's not really the point. The point is I wouldn't have had the option. I would have had to have put mm. this cap over my head and swim with like a tail behind me. And it's just the wrong message to be sending to people. We should be showing people, mm. yeah, these caps are available for anyone from any level to swim on because it, it, it's fine. It doesn't matter. It's their choice if they want to. And um, like I was, I was saying earlier, like for little boys or little girls looking up at the top of the sport and seeing that essentially their hair isn't allowed to be expressed as they want it to be at an Olympics or at a world championships. It's just such a shame. It's such a wrong message. Mm. Thankfully it was overturned a year later and now it is, it is available to use at the Olympics at the world championships, which is great. And you know, we might see people using it and we might not, but it's the fact that we have the option that is important. Oh my God, it's so important. I mean, if anyone's going to shatter that glass ceiling, it's going to be you. And you definitely know a few things about endurance being a marathon swimmer. Um, you do not do things by halves. So you're like, you know what? That pool. <laughs> yeah, See ya. That. I'm off then, out. Yeah, forget that. I'm going, I'm going in. What do you think that sporting endurance has taught you about endurance in mm. real life? Oh, okay. This one, I got, I got quite deep into this with my, um, my partner the other day. I, it has shown me that instant gratification versus deferred gratification. Deferred is what I say anyway. But basically, it's kind of just, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to put in a lot of hard work. You're going to have to do things you don't want to do. And it's hard and physically challenging, mentally challenging. But it will be worth it. And even if you don't get what you want to get out of it, you're still getting something out of it, basically. That's how I look at it. That's how I had to frame it in my mind because it is long, it is really hard. Like I'm swimming mm. for two hours. Um, it's grueling, it's difficult. I, I'm cursing myself half the, like, half the time, but I'm hating it. And then it gets to the last like two kilometers. And I'm like, okay, finally, let's go. This is the most exciting part. Like we swam 8K just to race the last like 1500 meters, which I know that sounds really far, but it's like, it actually goes by so quickly, just to race this last little bit, like let's go, let's do it. So um, it's a game of patience and it's taught me about life that you, sometimes you just gotta be patient. Life is like, hopefully for most people, it will be a marathon, it will be long, mm. it will be difficult, there will be highs and lows, but you just gotta keep trusting in your ability to get through it and to, find what good in it when you can because um yeah it, it's not always easy but where you get when you get a light and you can give light back to people and shine upon each other it it makes it a lot better so um yeah swimming's always been kind of like a cathartic force in my life of somewhere where i can like mm. really think about things but then also throw like a like all of my energy and time and effort into and hopefully reap something back from it oh my god that is so beautiful <laughs> the way you just put that because oh, it is oh. life is about digging deep and you do really have to dig deep as an athlete like 
it's not easy being a professional athlete. Like, I'm in awe of the mentality, like, that you guys have to, like, get into to be in that space, to get up every day, compete, still want to try and be the best, even when you have setbacks. Is there a setback you've had in your career that's almost, was so negative at the time, but has come to really define who you are as an athlete? Oh, definitely, yes. Um, Like, I suppose if I look really, like, telescope into it, I've got quite a few, but... The main one was in 2017, I had quite a poor world championships. I came 25th and um, it meant that I got dropped from the training squad that I was in, which was the national center. And I got dropped off of funding as well. So like, and I found this out within like half an hour of each other when I was meant to go back to training that day for the start of the new season. And uh, my mother dropped me off at, like back at uni. I was sat in my like uni house got a call from my coach at the time and was like oh you're not allowed back into the squad you can you can train with us up until december but then after that you're out of the squad and then half an hour later got a call that i wasn't on funding anymore and i just kind of sat there and was like those were the two things which i based my worth as a swimmer on they were the two things that i was Mm. like okay i'm a good swimmer because i'm in the national center and I'm a good swimmer because I'm on funding. And literally within half an hour without expecting it as well, they both were like, kind of taken from me. And I, I didn't know what to do. I, I went back home. I think I got the train back because my mum had literally just got back to Birmingham and I felt a bit bad trying to like drag her back out. So I went and got the train back home, stayed home for a week. And she was like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I need to finish university. So obviously I'm going to do that. But then I don't know if I'm going to keep swimming to be completely honest. Like I, 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 I can't see any way through this. Um, for some reason, I got back in the pool. I took like another two weeks off and then started going public swimming and just realized that I wasn't like nowhere near done. Like I was enjoying it too much, even just swimming by myself up and down. I I, I also couldn't see me finishing university and just being done. It just, it, it mm. I couldn't imagine myself doing that at all i couldn't imagine myself swimming but the thought of doing anything else just seemed like so bizarre that i was like okay well you need to keep swimming (laughs) like you need to keep swimming so um i moved into the loughborough university squad and that's where i am currently i've been there for i'm trying to do the maths real quick oh well like six nearly seven years and um been getting on with my coach really well i just i found myself in a really fortunate place that i wouldn't have removed myself from that training squad that I was in that I got kicked out of I wouldn't have done that I saw that as like a pride of my swimming career and Mm. for me to choose to take that away from myself would have been very very difficult and I wouldn't have wanted to do it but the fact that it was forced upon me whether it was for that reason or not made has made my swimming career so much better and so much more enjoyable and just a happier place for me to train in and to be with and the current squad that we have at the moment is just absolutely amazing like um we got like a world champion there's one guy who's saying that he's gonna um beat the world record in the 1500 which is like I so it's just I, I found myself in a really positive place full of people who genuinely want to see me succeed and um it has defined my career like something so negative which nearly like made me retire and 
uh, gosh, this was even before I started speaking out about being a, a black swimmer in Britain as well. So it it was it was a very long time ago, but it it has defined it's helped define like this latter part of my career, and um, I'm just I'm really grateful for it to be honest. And now you are looking forward to hopefully the 2024 Paris Olympics. Yes, hopefully. It oh, is the dream yeah. sitting here today to get onto that podium. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's a daydream. I, I think about it a lot. I always think about like my post-race interview if I would. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always, yeah, I just, I like, I really like, I, I need to get onto that Paris team because um, Tokyo was amazing. But in terms of my performance, I was really disappointed. And like, literally I got out, I saw the scoreboard and I was like, I, I was just like, okay, we need to go to Paris. Like, uh, and I, in my mind at that point, I, I hadn't even thought about Paris. I wasn't sure if I was gonna like try or not try. I did really didn't know. And I saw the scoreboard and I was like, now you need to go to Paris. You can't, you can't have that be your Olympic legacy. 2017 was like a rock bottom and I was like, oh, I'll never, I'll never be lower than that. And then 2022 was like, oh, hold my drink, hold my drink. <laughs> I'll take you even lower. I'll make it even harder. But the work that I've had to put in to get me back to being better than I was has been so challenging. So um, I, it's one of those where if I've, I've, I've got every intention of qualifying, but even if I don't, I know that I've committed so much of my heart and soul mm. into it that um, it will hurt, but I will still be happy that I tried, if that makes sense. I'll still be proud of myself for getting in and giving it giving it a shot, so I'm getting a bit emotional over it. But um, obviously I've got every intention of qualifying and competing. So um, yeah, I just want to right my wrongs from Tokyo. Mm. And the true success in life is doing the work. Like that is what success is. And I will always remember this thing that Katarina Johnson-Thompson said to me, where she said, regret will always haunt you more than failure. Yes. You've got to get out there. You've got to do it. And it's because you will be literally be like led there in a couple of years time, literally like thinking back on the last few years and you'll be like, oh my God, thank, even if it doesn't happen, thank God I tried because yes. at least that wasn't a failure. It's never a exactly. failure if you try. Exactly. Oh my God, I had this yesterday morning I was going through a hell of a session, didn't want to do it, wanted to get out. And actually at one point I was like, I stopped and I was like, my time was terrible. And um, I said to said to the coach, I was like, I'm not doing it anymore, I'm stopping. I did like a hundred meters easy. And then I touched the wall again and I was like, no, I'm gonna do it again, I'm gonna go again. And then I went and I was like way faster than what I was before. And I got out and I was like, I just, I was just thinking during that 100 meters easy, I was like, no, Alice, come on. You'll be so mad at yourself for the rest of the day if you call it quits because you're in this moment now. This is where you have to dig deep and find it. You know, it's really easy to lie in bed and say, oh, I'm gonna be good at swimming tomorrow. And then when you get in the pool, you're like, oh, I don't feel like it, I don't feel like it. You're in that moment, you have to commit to it. And that's what I, that's what I was telling myself. So um, yeah, no. She's 100% right. Regret is way more painful than failure because when you fail, at least you can say, I tried. At least you can say that. Exactly. But regret is what it's like. Yeah. I just, yeah. So I, I'm trying to do everything I can not to regret anything in my career. And that, that has always been my overarching aim is to 
one day when I retire not have any regrets and that's a really really hard challenge because obviously Mm. everything ebbs and flows but I think I'm doing all right at it so far I think (laughs) we're gonna see you on that podium in the Paris 2024 Olympics I just know it but before you probably have to like skip off back to training because you probably got to do a couple more lengths before the end of the day (laughs) we always end on this question that always is in the reign of your life what is the one rule you'll always live by um honestly mine is try to be nice and like sometimes Mm. Like it sounds bad. I don't think this makes you a bad person, but sometimes it is hard to be nice. Whatever for whatever reason you might have in that day, you might be really upset by something. Someone might have been rude to you. Like a, like I hate it when strangers are rude to me. Like I, I I don't ever come at people with that kind of energy. But when people just throw it at you, it always shocks me a little bit. So I always just um try to be nice. And it, it sounds like you're a bad person when you say try to be nice. They don't mean it like that. But um just carrying yourself with it energy where you don't expect anything from anybody, but just try to give out nice vibes and kindness because you really never know what people might be going through in that day. And your, your smile to um, the person who served you at Greg's might, might lift their spirits or something. I don't know. It sounds really like flippant and frivolous and silly, but um, just giving out good energy in the world is never a bad thing. So yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. always going to be how I try to live my life. And be kind to yourself as well. Yes. It works both ways. Exactly. Yeah. Be kind to yourself and go get that Greg's. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Go go treat yourself to a sausage roll. They're so good. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Honestly, thank you so much for showing me today. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for being here for this episode of Rain. If there are things that resonate with you, I'd love to hear from you. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Host. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow, and share this with someone you think should hear it. Let's get those convos going because that is what this podcast is all about. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.